Sorry I didn't introduce you. I always get so closety at these family things. Butch. You get Butch. Hey, Cousin Doris, uh, you don't remember me. I'm Lou. <laughs> Rachel's boy. Lou! Not Lewis, because if you say Lewis, they'll hear the sibilant S. I don't have a sibilant S. I don't blame you. Hiding. Bloodlines. Jewish curses are the worst. I personally would dissolve if anyone ever looked me in the eye and said, fa. Fortunately, wasps don't say fa. And, uh, by the way, darling, Cousin Doris is a dyke. No. Really? You don't notice anything. If I hadn't spent the last four years filleting you, I'd swear you were straight. Hello, welcome to a in-person episode of Pacino Pod. We're finally back together again, and we're here to talk to you about Angels in America, HBO series that came out in 2003. Yeah, I'm Jane. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be sitting next to you and not uh, having to worry about lag, digital lag in between, <laughs> and like talking over you all the time or uh, interrupting your points, which may still happen, it's just I don't have the excuse of a, <laughs> of a lag now to rely on. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. I, I don't think we had that problem before, so. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. We, um, we're pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we are very excited to talk to you uh, about Angels in America because we have been in like a desert of Pacino. Yeah, it's, goodness. Yeah, when this, I mean, the recruit wasn't terrible, but like, there hasn't been really anything like, like the best. That's like the best we've got <laughs> in, in quite a while. Insomnia was probably like yeah, the it, last it, good one. Yeah, well, and the people I know sucked, and you know, the recruit was okay. Gili was probably the worst thing that we've talked about so far. <laughs> worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. No, I, I don't know if that's. If that's what true. what what would be the worst thing you've ever seen, just out of curiosity? <laughs> I mean, probably like a student film or something. But I'm trying to think like um, <laughs> the whitest kids you know, guys. Uh, Trevor Moore and Zach Kreger made a movie called Miss March. Oh no, oh yeah, I remember that. They, I, just, I saw the tra I never watched it. I just saw the trailers. Remember the trailers for it? It's terrible. <laughs> and I worse like, than Geely. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but I feel like it's more. Like, you can, like, give them more credit because it was their first movie, and, like, mm -hmm. they were, like, right out of the gate in their comedy careers, and it was kind of, like, just some people being like, no, 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 this is really funny, you guys are gonna do great, and then they didn't, and they still got to have careers, but, like, this... This is, like... a Martin Brest, um, was, that was his last film so yeah. far. I mean, he's still alive, he could make another one, who knows, but, Julie um... too. Julie too, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, Martin Brest... It was not, Gigli was not his first film. I mean, he made Beverly Hills Cop. We said to a woman, got Oscars for it. Yeah. So he doesn't know he doesn't have that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Tony Kushner's Wikipedia because uh, he's who wrote Angels in America, the stage play, and then adapted it for the HBO miniseries. And he also wrote Munich and Lincoln and won Best Screenplay both years. Wait, uh, Lincoln, the, uh, the Steven Spielberg movie? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that he wrote. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, no, I like that movie a lot, actually. I think that's probably the last film I've seen of, like, that Spielberg's done in, like, the last ten years that I've really liked. Most of the, most of, I, I haven't really enjoyed a lot of what he's done recently. I, I hated Ready Player One, but, uh, Lincoln, I thought Lincoln was really good. I never saw it. Oh, I yeah. I thought it looked... 
Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, at the time, like, I was, like, super pumped to see it when it came out because I was like, oh, my God, Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. God, that's going to be fucking amazing. And the person, I kept trying to get the person I was dating at the time to watch it with me. And she was like, I'm not, no, I don't want to watch Lincoln. I don't want to watch Lincoln. And I just eventually just watched it by myself at my parents' house, like, when I was, like, home on break. <laughs> I couldn't get anyone to watch Lincoln with me. Did you watch it with your dad? No, I just watched it by myself. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that seems like a very, like, bad I mean, movie. I think my dad eventually did watch it, I, but uh, it wasn't with me, no. <laughs> Maybe I will watch it now that I know that Tony Kushner wrote it because he, I love the writing in Angels in America. It's oh yeah, so beautiful. And the we both loved the dream sequence so much. Like I was trying to think, like what are my favorite quotes of this? I've watched the whole series. James only watched the first. Yeah, we're only two. we're only tackling the first two episodes in this. Um, I think how we're gonna do it is like. We're just breaking it up into two episodes a piece to make it a little bit more manageable because I think like each episode's like an hour long or so, and that's like yeah. we normally cover like movies that are like at least two hours, so that's just like covering a two hour film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the The first half of the play is called Millennium. The Millennium approaches. I think that that's really yeah. It's funny. like the whole thing is like it has like a real apocalyptic tone to it which is cool i thought because it, it is kind of like you know i mean it, it is using the aids crisis as a metaphor for like a, a kind of apocalypse i don't know it, it, it's very interesting i like it probably it. did kind of feel like the end of the fucking world it, i mean it, it had to have like i mean we both were born after they kind of not didn't solve it you know it's still an issue now but they had like kind of have medicine like they had more medicine that you can you can li you can get diagnosed with AIDS and still live like pretty decently normal but it's not like the instant death sentence it was in the like early 80s when nobody knew what the fuck was going on and like you had people like Reagan in power who were just pretending like nothing was even happening and didn't do anything about it and um yeah you know it's it's not not anywhere close to like what's happening right now with like COVID or anything. Nothing, like no nowhere close to that. But <laughs> that's another thing. And like, I mean, it's it 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 did feel kind of weird um, watching this. Well, I mean, still technically in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, and it's like the millennium approaches. It's like all this apocalypse. Like, God, it feels like this right now. Jesus Christ. Right. Like, <laughs> I would be like depressed about the pandemic like come home and be like okay i need to unwind what am i gonna do watch a mini series about the aids crisis <laughs> yeah like what what a way to take your mind off of a fucking deadly pandemic than to watch a mini series about a pandemic <laughs> yeah and one that's like even more like personal yeah yeah like one that's yeah it, it hits very close to home and um do you think that, like, through learning more about AIDS and, like, the podcasts and stuff, that you, like, have more of, like, an under... Like, I feel like this, like, watching these movies and, like, like learning that, like, Robert Christian was one of the first people to even be diagnosed with AIDS, who, who plays a character in Injustice for All. Like, I feel like I just am, like, becoming, like, more, like, 
able to understand like the end of like what yeah i mean like yeah i it's only been in you know it's like something you just kind of we were always just taught about it just very peripherally in school like they just mention it offhand in health classes like this is why you don't have sex because you could get aids like that's that's like that was like the extent of it and you just kind of knew like oh yeah freddie mercury died of that but it wasn't until like many years later that i like really started realizing like holy shit like what a fucking awful huge like thing this was <laughs> especially once i was coming to terms with my own like gender and sexuality and stuff and realizing a whole generation of like of what would be like my elders now just are dead because of that <laughs> you know it's like they're like yeah. i mean there's you know it's just just so many people that like who would definitely still be alive right now if you know people had taken it more seriously or done you know done like more. if the government had given any shits yeah exactly yeah. so yeah i think about that a lot and there's just like you know there's like still whole like like thousands of like unmarked graves in like new york and like potters that people are still trying to like identify and stuff because of like the beginning of the crisis like when someone would die of it they would just drop they would just drop the body in these like unmarked because nobody wanted to touch or like, hand, handle right. it because they thought oh, you know they would you know there were so many myths myths about it you know that like oh you can catch aids from like just touching somewhere you can catch aids from kissing someone it's just like i don't know it just makes me really really fucking sad <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to like probe up oh no things, I, but... I i think it's good to talk about and like i think it needs to be talked about because, you know, it's just, it happened and people want to, people want to like, people still want to like brush it under brush it head. off or just like, yeah, like just kind of pretend like it didn't. <laughs> yeah. I watched a the documentary called where's my Roy Cohn and Roy Cohn is who Al Pacino plays in this series. And it's like so fucked up because like Ronald Reagan you know, denied the AIDS crisis for so long, but when his little buddy Roy Cohn got AIDS, he, like, pulled strings left and right to, like, get him treatment, and it's just, like, really fucked up because it's like, well, you know that it's real then. Yeah, no, that's the thing, it's like... And you know how terrible it is. Yeah, and, I mean, they also credit, a lot of people credit, it wasn't until, like, the actor Rock Hudson got it and went public with it that Reagan's, because Reagan was friends with, you know, they came up and acting together, they were friends in the 50s and Mm -hmm. stuff, and then, so Reagan was, like, was forced to acknowledge it, because his, like, one of his, like, good friends very publicly was dealing with it, so it's like... Yeah, and Roy Cohn, like, he publicly said that he had liver cancer and refused to come out of the closet there is a real good scene in this um when he's in the doctor's office where he's like basically yeah he's basically justifying he's like no you're gonna say i I have liver cancer and he's like i am not a homosexual i have sex with men but i'm a heterosexual man because i have clout (laughs) and that's basically what i mean it just it, 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 it shows the disparity of like of people who like and there's still these people who exist who are like either deeply closeted or, like, very rich and powerful that just, like, see themselves as above their community that they 
would be and instead of like using their their voice or power to advocate for him they just like say fuck you i've got mine and that's what roy Cole basically is yeah he brought up how gay men haven't been able to pass like some civil rights bill or something like basically comparing like his career and what he's been able to accomplish to the gay communities and he was like saying that i don't know i felt like that's why he didn't want to like align himself with them because he was like in a very trump way being like winners losers you know what i mean like yeah and not like that and guess who taught trump that like roy cole (laughs) yeah like they were bffs a lot of people i think donald trump was actually probably like one of the last like protege you know a lot of this a lot of the uh of these episodes were spent on roy cone mentoring um patrick wilson's character who's also like this reaganite guy like deeply closeted dude and roy roy cone was very good friends and was trump's lawyer and did a bunch of shit for him in the 80s but guess what once roy was diagnosed who disappeared from his life donald trump (laughs) yeah once it was like unavoidable that it was aids and not liver cancer like Yeah. yeah trump was just out of there like never spoke to him again and in the documentary they talked about like how much that really fucked up Roy. I mean, not that... I don't know. It's hard to have sympathy for this man because he's honestly despicable. He's a huge... Pe- like, I mean, they barely scratched... He did some fucking terrible things. Like, yeah, he even... Ta- like, I mean, he talks about it in the series where he was, like, the first guy that, like, uh, who re- really got his foot in the door was fucking Joseph McCarthy, the, uh, yeah. the uh, senator... Um, best known for drumming up the red scare in the 50s and for hunting gay men yep like basically (laughs) and roy was a part of that like he lobbied for the rosenbergs to be put to death and he would like be a part of these trials that were trying to like take down people that were thought to be communists or thought to be homosexual it's just like so fucked up because it was, like, also very, like, like, yeah, he was in the closet, but, like, people knew. Like, in this documentary, it was, like, so interesting. And the part where I almost did feel something for him was, you know, like, so, like, it was kind of, like, Twittered about that, like, oh, like, Roy might be gay. Because he always had, like, young, um, handsome men around him. And that's, like, what Joe Pitt's character is, like, I think sort of an allusion to this, like, trend in Roy's life that he would always take on these like very handsome usually blonde um like Nordic looking men and like pull strings and make sure that they got jobs and like try and do everything he can for them kind of be like their like daddy almost (laughs) in a way and then they would like begin this like relationship and while he was a young lawyer he had a relationship like that with somebody who got drafted into the army and then he tried to go after the army and the like him and mccarthy basically like tried to seek out communists in the army and say that there was all these people that were like hiding in the army and they like tried to do this trial in the army like whoever was there to represent the army just roasted the fuck out of roy and basically was like we know that you're just doing this because your lover is has been drafted like that was the subtext of it but it was Mm -hmm. all just like homophobic jokes yeah and like roy is just squirming like there's footage of this and roy's just squirming and like everybody's like throwing around this language that's just beating around the bush like calling them 
uh, they're like, is it, is the word pixies? Or, oh, no, fairies. Like, there's, and, like, the whole crowd is laughing. And it's just, like, so uncomfortable because, like, you know, like, that's, in Roy's mind, like, the worst thing somebody could call him. Yeah. And, like, his, like, partner, like, boyfriend, whoever he was to him at the time is, like, looks kind of uncomfortable, but, like, nowhere near. So it's, like, kind of interesting to be able to see that moment and then, like, see how he turned around and, like, then did the exact same thing and, like, hunted, like, people and tried yeah. to out their lifestyles. Which is interesting because wasn't that, like, we had talked about and this is probably the only time I'll reference, like, City Hall, but, like, we had talked about how, who was the mayor that Al Pacino's character was based off of? Coke. Ed Coke. Ed Coke. And wasn't, like, a part of the problem of, like, Ed Coke in New York in the 80s was that he refused to acknowledge the AIDS crisis because then everyone would think that the only reason that he was acknowledging it was because he was gay or whatever, and he didn't want that out. That's, like, the same thing that I think that, like, Oh, he Roy probably was like, oh, I got up this whole, like, fucking trial, so now we need to drum up this, like, we need to find gay, we need to, like, out homosexuals because, you know, because I don't want to be labeled as such yeah. and such. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was like a reaction. Almost. Yeah, that's, it's like, it's like, once again, it's just showing how, you know, people within your own community can be some of the like most harmful <laughs> people to said community which is what i think roy <laughs> definitely is yeah he i mean it's like, like crazy that he like had boyfriends throughout his life i mean he like i mean he mentions that like he literally mentions in the doctor's office that like he could easily bring his like boyfriend to the white house and like, have ronald reagan shake his hand and have it be nothing you know that's like because he had that much clout you know it's like yeah. so it's just it's just a very a lot of like i got mine fuck you attitude that was kind of an amazing scene when he's like the difference is that after i fuck my boyfriend i take him to the white house <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh well okay just another example of like the great writing in this the main character like al pacino is actually pretty sidelined in, in well in the first couple episodes anyways but the main characters in this lewis and Pryor, i like i love their relationship and they're yeah. like their the way they like interact anything Pryor says is like beautiful like eloquent like poetry yeah he, he's a great great character um yeah pretty much every scene that he's in you just like want to hear him talk <laughs> yeah i love the dream sequence so there's like all of these i mean there's kind of a lot of characters to keep straight in this but um we mentioned the character that al pacino or roy Cohn has like taken under his wing is a deeply closeted mormon lawyer and he has a wife who's like agoraphobic and she like is addicted to pills and maybe there's some other mental health stuff going on yeah i mean she hallucinates which but she doesn't seem but she it seems like at least you know in the first couple episodes that she's very cognizant that they are just hallucinations and like right. like she knows it's just like part of the value there's that moment where she was like get out of here mr lies you're not even real yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
her character Harper. Yeah, Harper and Pryor in a like weird dream state when she takes too many pills and he's feeling really sick. They like meet in this like other place it seems yeah and the dialogue in that is so like beautiful like there is like this part where they're talking about you know why they're both so fucked up or something and like Pryor is talking about how like he's like well fuck the truth you know like because she's upset because her husband is gay Mm -hmm. and he's upset because he has AIDS and then he says something about like how more realistically in the end the truth fucks you and I was like man that's so good also well like in in the beginning of that scene whenever he's in drag and then she comes in and she's like oh you're a man but you're wearing makeup and then he like looks at the mirror and he's just like "Ah!" (laughs) 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 I thought that was so good like well I mean Pryor just has an amazing sense of humor and that's what kind of like carries uh the the character through because otherwise it would be like a deeply depressing show i mean it still is is. i like (laughs) i um at yeah i like i cried at the end of the second episode and i was like because i originally i was like i'm just gonna like plow through this whole thing and i was just like no i gotta wait (laughs) i can't it's like this is like this is like too heavy right now i gotta space this out a little bit (laughs) yeah i mean it doesn't really like pull any punches as far as how like how terrible of a disease it, oh, and yeah. how like much it can progress and like how how like not fun it is and that's like a big part of the plot between Pryor and Lewis because Lewis is like not sure if he can handle it at, at the beginning it's like about his his grandmother's funeral and he's so freaked out about death that he's like shaking and like can't even like go bury her and stuff and that's the the day that Pryor tells him that he has AIDS, and immediately he's like, just like for he can't I don't know. he yeah. can't handle it at all. Actually, it was really interesting after he like basically abandons Pryor in the hospital when he drops him off. Um, after he like, it's very clear he can't live on his own anymore without he needs to be in the hospital. He goes to the he goes cruising basically, and goes to the forest and gets uh, tries to get fucked by leather daddy who is played by the same actor that plays prior which i which um i know that like in this a lot like this uh, as in this and the play like a lot the same actors will play multiple characters but i think that one specifically like that to me feels like an allusion to cruising especially because he's like dressed as a leather daddy and like part of like as we've talked about in cruising before a lot of the um interest and mystery in that is that the killer is like played by like you know like played mm-hmm. could play by multiple different people or could be multiple different people and like they're all dressed like very similarly and it's like i don't know i thought that was that seemed like to me like a kind of an allusion to to cruising a little bit i think that that's like interesting in cruising and in this that like it also seems to be saying something about just like how people have types and it's like funny that like Lou is trying to get over Pryor and then he fucks someone who looks just like Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is so good. I like squealed whenever he, I realized that he was gonna fuck a leather daddy. <laughs> like, cause I just couldn't believe that, I mean it makes sense, it's 80s New York, there, yeah. there are leather daddies, it's the middle of the night in Central Park, like, yeah. I was joking to you that the leather daddies are out on patrol. Yeah, I mean it's even like shot like the lighting and everything is very similar to how it looks in cruising, like when 
when he when he's out in the in the park with the killer, Al Pacino's character. Yeah. It has a sinister feel to it, which yeah. I think is like even though Cruising didn't know what felt sinister about like having random sex in the eighties in New York, like and this does, I feel like they're still playing off of that same like fear of like it's the middle of the night and like I'm about to fuck this stranger and like who knows what could happen. Yeah. And it could kill you. I mean that I mean that's part like I mean he's very clearly like it seems like he kind of is a little bit suicidal cuz you know he the yeah. condom breaks and the guy's like hey it broke do you want to keep going and he's like yeah yeah like just go up fucking infect me just get it over with and he's like he just got the guy he's just like <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit too much for me, dude. I'm gonna go. <laughs> what is the best part of this whole interaction is that at the beginning, like, before they fuck, Lou is like, you know, we can't go to my house because my boyfriend is there. Yeah. And, like, can we go to your house? And the da- the leather daddy is like, I live with my parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then as he's leaving, he goes, give my regards to mom and dad. And the leather daddy just slaps the shit out of him. <laughs> Like it was just a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, Which I think I think it's just funny because that also like breaks the whole like it just clearly demonstrates that a lot of the like tough like leather macho posturing is just is just that. It's just <laughs> I loved that part of it. Yeah, because like in a lot of cruising, like you don't really see like what their lives are like during the day except for I mean, like, Teddy and Pacino's character are really the only people. And yeah. then, well, I guess the killer. We get yeah. to see that he's, like... <laughs> he's just a college kid. He's, like, <laughs> studying, like, like English lit or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense, I guess, that he has to go kill some people. <laughs> Doesn't he kill his professor? Isn't that... Oh, yeah. I'm pretty he, sure he does, yeah. Fucks and kills his professor. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, they're... they're are a lot of like interest i mean this came out in 2003 and it's set in 85 and i think that like its depiction of like what gay life was like at the time is probably like some of the i actually like saw that it like made some lists like the 25th anniversary of like aids i don't know it was that just when aids was like first or what i guess when probably i don't i don't know i don't know know. like 1981 or something so the 25th anniversary, there was, like, this, like, list of uh, art that has depicted AIDS and, like, what people with AIDS think has been the most accurate, and um, Angels in America had made, like, so many of the lists. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's very well regarded. Um, like, I mean, the, the play itself, I know, is taught, like, in a lot of cl- like, my, um, a friend of mine, uh, when she was, was a theater major, I know she had to read a a section of angels in there in america for one of her classes and stuff it's like it's a it's like a very very highly regarded play and the series is really highly regarded as well i like i first learned about it <laughs> i feel like i've mentioned him so many times like on this show throughout but like kyle calgren did like a two-part series on angels in america like years and years ago and that's like when i i remember watching him his analysis and talking about it and i was like damn this looks really good i want i should I should watch it at some point. And now I am years and years <laughs> later. But <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that like, it's, it's up there in the 
canon. I think, and I don't know if like people, I don't know if people really are aware of the miniseries that much in 2021. Um, I don't know, if, but I don't know if that's because of like it being on HBO, like in the early 2000s, just a lot of people didn't have access to it or, um, or if it was just like it being a queer series in the early 2000s, people being like, I don't want to watch that shit or like whatever. But yeah. like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I just, I haven't really heard people I know talk about it much in person. <laughs> I think that like what I have heard about it was actually kind of like somebody being like having aversion to seeing Pacino play a flamboyant character. And I'm like, he's always flamboyant. He's played, he played, I made a tweet one time that like Al Pacino makes two types of movies. He either makes movies that you can sit and watch with your dad or the gayest movies imaginable. And it's like, that's it. And that's pretty true. It's like having like watched most of his, I mean, he still, we still have a shit ton of movies to cover, but like having watched a good chunk of his career at this point, I feel like that's, (laughs) that's very true. (laughs) And I have Googled several times now. Al Pacino bisexual, still no, no, no clarification on whether that's true. But like, I just like, I just feel like, how could it not be based on the fucking choices that he chooses? Shane, he's not bisexual. He's a heterosexual man. Oh yeah, he has he, sex with men. Yeah, yeah, he, he has sex, sex with, with men. men. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he literally says that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I think that that part was so. I mean, like. That's the first introduction that we have to Roy Cohn. No, it's him talking to Joe in the office. Yeah, where he's like fielding a bunch of calls and, and just an like, asshole. and he's just like, oh yeah, you want a job in DC? <laughs> and that like apparently was his thing. Like he just loved to like pull strings for people and like show them like, here's all the friends in high places that I have. And, like, yeah, I-, I did think it was funny when he was going through the Broadway plays and like. <laughs> We'll talk he, about cats a lot. Yeah, this. he he told I think he he like said I can't remember what play he was like oh you wouldn't like that um and he like mentions cats or whatever but like while he's on hold he's like oh yeah that play was a like the play that he told them not to go to he's like yeah one of the best I've ever seen amazing and he like he's like talking I mean he like clearly like is like shit talking cats and he gets back on like oh yeah cats great you would love it <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> I was talking to my coworker, uh, John, who I work with at the video store, and he's uh, somebody that's talked to me a lot about Angels in America, and he was saying, like, we were just talking about, like, how big Cats was in the 80s, in the 80s, in New York, in the gay community. Like, like, no fucking wonder it's, like, brought up, like, six times in the first episode, because it's on, like, buses. Oh, yeah. It's, like definitely i don't know cats was fucking huge i think like yeah like in the like that was like the broadway musical in the 80s it was like that like that and like i guess if there was such a thing as a like a blockbuster broadway musical it was that and like les mis were like the big ones in the 80s um, not that I'm like, I'm not, I'm probably also forgetting a bunch, but I'm not really a Broadway person, but though, like, I'm not, I'm like, but that actually like makes it, makes the point better because it's like, these are the two that are like, even people who don't like know anything about Broadway can like point to like, oh yeah, cats and like <laughs> the big yeah, ones. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright in this, uh, he plays the nurse, um, believes 
who come who's like one of Pryor's friends and like it, I think they like used to do drag together and he also plays Mr. Lies. Oh yeah, he I didn't realize yeah, like once again that's how like I guess that's how good all of these like actors are in that like I didn't realize that like a lot of these people were played by the same people until like I sat down with Callie right before we recorded and you were like, oh yeah, Meryl Streep was the rabbi. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep like looks like a 60 year old man in, in like much of this first episode. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I didn't realize watching it, obviously like she, the makeup is amazing. Especially yeah. for the time. It's like, they definitely had some, this is like, Broadway connections like they like had some people that were amazing at makeup do Meryl Streep because she looks she looks like your fucking rabbi like and then later in the rest of the movie she's like Joe's mom and like looks like Meryl Streep yeah no I thought like that's what I I thought that she didn't make an appearance until he has that phone call with her that's when I was like oh yeah now I guess Meryl Streep's here now not realizing that she's the very first fucking person you see in the movie. <laughs> well, the series, I guess I call it a movie. I, I don't know. It's like... It, it, they are little tiny movies. They, it, I mean, it's it's pre, prestige TV. So, you know, yeah. it's I guess it's like... I guess this would be like right at the beginning of that type of like, of like prestige television. Because like, I mean... I mean, I guess really only HBO was doing that in the early 2000s because this was, like, right around the time that, like, The Sopranos and Oz were, like, huge. And those were, like, a lot of people point to as, like, the first, like, TV series where, like, people are like, this is an equivalent to cinema or whatever. Because, like, you know, before, like, TV's always been kind of seen as, like, second rate to movies and like that was like the idea it's like you start you like start in tv and then eventually you work your way into movies but like hbo kind of changed that a little bit with those series and i guess angels in america is, is a part of that because you have yeah you have like meryl streep and al pacino two huge films like film stars doing a television series <laughs> you know yeah even if it is angels in america you know like like award-winning like amazing like literary broadway play you know it's still like marketed as a tv series <laughs> yeah i think it's like it is very interesting uh how like amc and hbo have changed like television and like how we view like because now like i mean it's people like everybody can tell you like oh like breaking bad is like a masterpiece if, if anything like tv is now like overtaken movies and how people view like more people like watch netflix watch like i mean they'll like the, the it's 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 almost to the point where like like tv tv is like almost reaching a level of like it's more prestigious to do uh, to get a land a like netflix series than it is to like it's not quite at that level like i mean you like you but it's getting to that point because especially now with like Disney plus and like making Marvel series based off of characters that were like only in the movies before. It's just like the lines between the two are starting to blur a little bit. I think there is something like a little bit more prestigious about like doing like a mini series, you know? Yeah. Like, like I, <laughs> I can commit to six episodes, six episodes and that's it. And it's like, then it's like, 
Yeah, then it's basic. It's kind of like David Lynch when he brought back, um, when they, he did the return of Twin Peaks, wanted it to be one, one like 18 hour long movie. <laughs> and like Showtime was like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. We're, like, and that. So it was like, so it was split up into it was split up well David Lynch is David Lynch but it was like split up into to episodes after that but it's like but it was very intentionally made to be a movie and that's what I kind of that's how I kind of feel like with Angels in America a little bit like mm-hmm. it really feels like this was made to be a like complete whole piece like these six episodes are made to be watched together as I a, how a, long the play was I I say that as like this is meant to be watched as a whole piece as we're only covering the first two episodes. <laughs> Jane, guess how long the Broadway play is. How long is it? Three hours and 30 minutes. Oh, it's three hours and 30 minutes? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty long, but it's like, I, the series is longer than that. There are though. two intervals. Two, two interludes? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Holy shit. No, Okay. Part one, Millennium Approaches, is three and a half hours with two 15-minute intervals. Part two, Perestroika, is four hours with two 15-minute intervals. Is this split up? They don't... Do they perform this all at once? Or is this like a split into two type things? That's a good question. I'm not sure historically if they've done it or if they like adapted it later to, to be... Oh, Andrew Garfield is currently playing Prior Walter. That's so cute. Nathan Lane, Nathan Lane is playing Roy Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually kind of, that's a good choice. So do they do it like... Yeah, part one and part two. They do it all in one day? Yeah. That, that is fucking nuts. That is a whole day. That is, sounds like it would be one of the hardest fucking plays to do. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand like, how they get an audience to sit. Well, I mean, it's like... It's probably the prestige now at this point, and the legend behind, like, the, it's, a, it's a legendary play. And you get Andrew Garfield, Nathan Lane. Like, but, it's, I mean, I'd go see it. Like, I want to I want to go see I Angels would, America on Broadway. But, <laughs> I, I know that I'm a fucking weirdo, and I would do that. <laughs> I am, like, have absolutely no issue sitting for seven hours. I'd be like, I don't even need the intervals. Do you, yeah. Are you guys ready? Yeah, it's like... Bring out Garfy. Roy. <laughs> Garfy, baby. I don't know. Um, let's see. Let's watch you die slowly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is like one of the difficult. I mean, they really. And then another thing that they don't pull any punches with is like making Pryor, who is so handsome, like one of the most like beautiful actors. Yeah. Look terrible. Oh yeah, and like I mean that's that's commented on quite a bit. Um, but it's like, yeah, they like it. They yeah, it, it's not. It's 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 very hard to watch him physically decay. <laughs> Which I think is like, I mean, it seems like a little like they're overdoing it, but also like, at the same time, I think it's like to drive home like how Lewis feels, like how it would feel to be Lewis, mm-hmm. because you're like watching this person that you love and who is like so like beautiful and like independent like his own person kind of de- you know yeah. decay but i think that like then i love how they juxtapose like in dream sequences or like whenever he's like with the angels or whatever you know he like he looks like himself like um whenever he's with harper 
in there. Oh, hello. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna see what... Do you want to not be in here? Right now we've hit our 15 minute interval uh, for our Angels in America. While Callie's gone, the best way to listen to our um, Angels in America episodes will be much like the play, uh, you'll want to listen to them um, all together as like one eight hour podcast with like four 15 minute intervals in between. <laughs> what are you I, telling I, them I, about I, me? I was just uh, telling our audience the best way to listen to our Angels in America uh, episodes once they come out, much like the play, is to listen to them as one eight hour podcast. We should with, release them all together. <laughs> with like two 15 minute intervals in between. <laughs> We should just have recorded our commentary over Angels in America, <laughs> and then be like, watch Angels in America with us. <laughs> yeah. And it's just us being like, aww. <laughs> yeah, it's like quiet for most of it, because we're trying to hear the dialogue, and don't want to talk over the dialogue. <laughs> There's just like, I mean, like, there are funny parts or whatever, but like, yeah, most of it's being like, uh, you know, like, I, I, like, really can't get over, like, the awkwardness whenever he's like, go on, infect me, or whatever. Like, what yeah. an awful thing to say to someone while you're fucking them. Yeah, that's horrifying. Of course, you. of course that person's gonna stop. It's like, can you imagine, like, someone saying that while he's you're like, having sex? Like, I would hate, like, if you hadn't agree, like, I mean, okay, some people, like, like kinks like go to very dark places and like if that's something you would have like agreed on with the person beforehand that like you're gonna talk like this or these are like things that you like that are like like yeah your fetish your fetish is catching AIDS which is the thing like that's the thing um as a f okay I gotta prep that that is a thing but there are also like legitimately horrible people called bug catchers where they're like so sexually like they only get sex. They only get off on the thought of like catching AIDS from someone, and will like purposely trick people um, into infecting them. So that is a real thing. Um, but uh, there's also like, I mean, there's a difference between like a a harmless kink where you talk about it with the person, and right. it's not it's like the it's not the actual thing. It's not the actual thing, or the actual thing, and like it's clear. That these are two strangers, and he did not talk to he did he did not talk about this. And also, I don't think that's I don't think that's Lewis's kink. And three, I think Lewis was was being coming from a very suicidal, depressed place when he said that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at the beginning when they're talking, he's like, "Well, what do you want?" And he's like, "I want you to hurt me and make me bleed." And he's like, "Yeah, I can do that for you or whatever." Like you can tell that he's like, "Okay, like we're falling into like a BDSM thing. That's fine." Yeah. And then as soon as he says "infect me," the guy's like, "I think I want to go." Yeah. He's like, "That's," and I just like it's like. It's just the most, like, awkward, terrible sexual encounter, but it's also, like, so, somehow so funny. Like, the way it's written and, like, the regards to mom and dad. Like, I think that, like, what's really good about this play and what's making it so much more enjoyable than, or, er, play, <laughs> miniseries. Miniseries, play, movie, uh, graphic novel. No. Graphic <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like, we've been watching movies about heavy subjects, but, like, none of them have, like, given it to us with, like, this comedic twist that, like, yeah. even though it's so dark, yeah. I'm still kind of, like, oh, well, that was, like, really, like, 
poetically done, actually. Like yeah. <laughs> even though it's a dark, awful, like you know, I don't know. Because I, I like I really think that like you can kind of you can kind of examine this and like even though cruising isn't about the AIDS crisis as like directly it's like whereas this is directly about the AIDS crisis and cruising is about like a serial killer um I do think um and we've talked about this before when we talked about it with Rose and stuff that like you can kind of use cruising as like a metaphor for like the AIDS crisis of like and we talked about that earlier that where like, cruising is like it's like 100% fear like totally fear driven like kind of like a the, the horror of like will like is this the killer isn't this the killer whereas like angels in america is going to like a kind of a black not i mean it's very much a drama it's, it's like taken very seriously but there's a lot of black comedy in it like it's kind of like let us you know kind of gallows humor our way through this horrible there's just these like little things that like make it such an interesting like whenever belize comes to help prior and he's like talking about the cream that he bought him from like some like Cubana <laughs> witch and he's like don't don't put that on me like you know I'm immunosuppressed <laughs> and and like and Belize is like come on I'm a nurse you know like yeah. there's all this like really good repartee like and everything's like so well established with these characters like they're all really like well fleshed out which I think like if you're gonna make something about like the worst part of somebody's life like it needs to be like you need to know exactly who the person is so I think it's, like, really weird that, I mean, it, it, like, totally makes sense, but, like, also, like, why is Roy Cohn the only, like, act, like, the only real person in this? Like, it's not like this um, is... I think, uh, I think what, like, uh, what, I you know, like, I haven't watched any interviews with, like, Tony Kushner or why he decided that, to use, like, to have everybody else fictional and use, like, Roy Cohn as, like, and not, I, I think... Be, and he could have, you know, used an. Uh, he could have just gone with like a, another an analog like of a Roy Cohn type character. But I think using the actual Roy Cohn kind of like, drives home the point of like, you know, this. I don't know. I think there was a very it was very purposefully done, because they like, he wanted to show that like somebody within Ronald Reagan's sphere and a real person at that dealt with this, and it like you know like. And even though he thought he was above it, was still, you know, still brought down by the same thing that killed all the other people that he like looked down upon, kind of thing. Does you know, maybe you know, does that does that make sense or? Yeah, I think like also like he was such a public figure, right? And just such a powerful person who, yeah, like just such a powerful person who did so much damage to the community that he came from, you know, and like thinks that he even as he is dying from it, like, wants to deny that he is dying from the same thing that, like, is killing members of his own community, you know, it's like, I think that makes it, like, and the <laughs> fact that this was a real person and not, like, a made-up character in this, like, showed us, the, like, the reality of the situation of what, like, this actually was, you know, if that makes sense, because, like, there's a lot of fantastical elements in this, you know, with the angels and the, like, very apocalyptic setting, but, like, Roy Cohn kind of grounds this back into, like, reality a little bit that, like, this actually happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, on Wikipedia, they called it a gay Fantasia Broadway play. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. 
Fantasia. <laughs> <A> gay Fantasia. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and like, yeah, that is an interesting point that like, you know, he spent his whole life trying to distance himself from this label and then he kind of like, you know, died like the rest. He wasn't able to escape it because of his clout or because of yeah, the because of that, that because of that clout that he wants to like rub in his <laughs> yeah he was like <laughs> his doctor is sitting there like trying to be like hey i'm like you like his doctor is basically like yeah you could tell yourself whatever fucking lie that you want to about this but it, it still is what it is yeah yeah he because he's like i'm if you say that i'm <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, like, he's like, I'll have, like, your medical license, like, I'll fuck up your entire life if you say that I have AIDS. He's, like, trying to get him to say, Roy Cohn, you're a homosexual. Yeah, like, like no, because he, he's, like, basically saying there's, like, there's only two ways people get AIDS, and I'm, Roy Cohn isn't a drug addict, so what am I? <laughs> he, right. He's, like, Trump bullying his doctor, basically. <laughs> <laughs> people are really mean at doctor's offices, I will say that. Yeah. I think that, like, after watching that documentary and then re-watching Pacino's portrayal of Cone and the writing about him, they've done such a good job to show, like, who he was and, like, what he, like, what his beliefs were and, like, how he built his life because he was, and, I mean, that's just, like, so evident in, like, how Trump is, like, that's where he learned it from, but, like, zero empathy. And, in fact, like, in the documentary, uh, Where's My Roy Cone? He, some, like, the journalist asked him, like, what are your weaknesses? Which is, like, a tough thing to ask somebody who only wants to talk about how awesome they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And he actually answers it, like, pretty honestly. Like, and one of the things that he says is that he has a complete lack of understanding of human emotion. <laughs> like, he was like, I don't have empathy. And so it is very, like, interesting to see how, how Pacino, like, portrays that. Because I think, like... He is showing empathy towards uh, Joe Pitt's character, but it's it, but, it's all ulterior motive. Yeah, I know. It, like he, it, and that's a very narcissistic, um, you know, it's it's like a hallmark of a narcissist of someone who's charismatic is that like he could make it seem like he is trying to benefit you, but the reality is it ultimate like even if this does help you in some way, it still benefits him like overall, and that's what that kind of like that scene in the restaurant it's kind of like because you know roy's about to be disbarred and he like wants and part of him is wanting to put pit inside the justice department to make sure that he doesn't get just like he doesn't have to go through this trial or get disbarred or like have his career destroyed or whatever um and you know that, that that's why he's kind of like trying to butter up this guy so much and like hey move to washington and like and, he, and then when he's like so you know because he cares about his life, even if, even if, like, even if he is gay, like, he does care about his wife enough to, like, know that, like, he doesn't want to abandon her because she knows she's, that she's dealing with, like, some, like, severe mental health issues. And she's like, I have to take that into consideration if I, like, you know, like, before I go to Washington. And Roy's just, like, just, like, flips out. He's like, nope. <laughs> Fuck that. You come with me. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm so excited, like, for you to watch the rest. It's it's also good, like, cohesively. Like, it, it probably should be watched to, like, <laughs> in an eight-hour period. But who could, who could stomach that, you know? like you Plenty would... of people do on Broadway, apparently, all the time. <laughs> They're just sobbing in their seats. God like, damn, that just sounds... Need a minute. So tired. It's only 15 minutes. It's in between. <laughs> to cry. I, to cry, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> The bathroom at the opera house or whatever <laughs> is just full of, like, sobbing people that are like, get it together, they're, they're flashing the lights, okay, it's time to go back. <laughs> it gets, like, so much better, I think, in, like, the things it does with Roy Cohn, so that's what I'm, I'm excited about. He was such a piece of shit. <laughs> there was, like, another part, so, I mean, like, we'll talk so much more about the Rosenbergs, uh, once we get into it, but, like, one thing from the documentary, are you familiar much with, like, the, the communists, like... Um, the, are they the people that were, um, accused of, like, selling nuclear stuff to the Soviets in the 50s? Is that right? Yeah, they were accused of, I'm not sure if it was specifically nuclear secrets, but I just know that they were accused of, like, espionage, mm -hmm. and they didn't have enough evidence to, uh, indict Ethel, the, the wife, but... At, like, age 23, Roy Cohn still lobbied with the judge. Like, he illegally lobbied for both of them to get the death penalty, and they, like, both got the electric chair. And um, the journalist who worked on the documentary was like, how do you feel about the Rosenberg trial in hindsight? Because you were so young whenever you went for this. And he was like, I would do it the exact same, like, over again. And he, in the, in Angels in America, whenever, in the first scene, whenever they're in his office and he's, like, talking to Joe, he has the New York Times clipping of the Ethel Rosenberg, like, death sentence thing on his wall. It's <laughs> fucking disgusting. Like, I don't know, but uh, we can talk about that. Yeah, I'm sure we, I'm sure we will get into that, because um, it sounds like that's a deep component of the, in the next few episodes, so. It almost like thinking about it like the rest of this almost feels like a revenge plot on Roy Cohn <laughs> 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 which he totally deserves <laughs> when did he pass I don't know I don't know that's I'm assuming in the 80s, in the 80s yeah <laughs> I mean <laughs> looks like he died in 1986 that's about yeah that's what I was gonna say sounded right so weird. He he like got like multiple like botched facelifts, Roy Cohn. Oh jeez. And he would like completely deny them to his friends. Like they'd be like, Oh, did you get surgery? And he'd be like, No, me? No. And it's like, it's your face. Like we can yeah. tell. The, it, he sounds this all sounds like fucking Trump. Like all of this shit. Like Trump's like deny reality like completely and just like lie, lie, lie until the lies become like so indebted that it's just truth now that's like what roy's doing <laughs> with his whole life <laughs> what's interesting about this and like another way that he kind of ties into like our whole thing yeah. is that roy Cohn represented the five families of new york in the 70s he like represented the the gambino godfather of course he did until he was assassinated <laughs> and yeah he like he he himself was jewish but he like was a self-hating jew like completely like renounced like being jewish and like seemed to more align himself with like 
Italian people and Catholicism. Oh, I'm sure that's he would have loved that Al Pacino played him. In this. <laughs> yeah, he was like a consigliere. Yeah, he was pretty much Robert Duvall in uh, The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly, he like got people off of like the worst charges, like murder charges, rape, like yeah, all of these things that they definitely did. But there was enough ed- evidence to convict them because of his pulling strings and all of that shit. He was like very well loved in the like Italian mafia. <laughs> All the worst fucking people in the world loved Royko. <laughs> no, he's basically, um, he is, he is, him and the, and Al Pacino's character in Devil's Advocate, uh, Satan, are very similar. <laughs> right? It's like, he's played Satan, Ed Koch, and Roy Cohn. Like, as close to Satan as he can get. So, it, like... I do think it's interesting that he seems to have gravitated to another role that is, like, about corruption. Yeah, no, I think that's just very, like, that's literally, like, I think the most fascinating thing to him. Because, like, even, like, in, like even in a movie that could be seen as, like, just very paint-by-the-numbers, um, like, uh, what the fuck is that movie called? You literally just talked about it two weeks ago. Good morning. No, The Recruit. Uh, it was Recruit. Like, even in a movie like that, where it, where it's, like... It just seems like your standard, like, kind of espionage, like, spy thriller type film. It is still about corruption. It's about his corruption as the, as the drill, the, not the drill instructor, but, like, the, as the, as the recruiter in the CIA. And, like, people I know is the same thing. And, I mean, I can't think of a movie recently that we've talked about where it, it, there isn't some aspect of, like, his character is dealing with corruption. Maybe any given Sunday he's not really dealing with that, but, like... Well, a little bit, I guess, I guess. in that... Like, <laughs> in um, how the NFL treats, like, medical conditions and stuff. That's true, but that really didn't apply to him. Like, that was, like... Not like political with, That was, like, with, like, James Woods and stuff was yeah. more dealing with that. His was just, like, I'm an aging football coach. And oh, I'm yeah. getting, I'm getting bumped out of my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Interestingly enough, like, the that's, like, kind of a whistleblowing movie, though, too, same, like, Serpico, but, like, specifically, like, legal movies, like, he seems to have, like, a, like, a strong tie to, like, legal, like, justice, corruption. Yeah, like, and, like, and Justice for All, Devil's Advocate, any, any movie that, like, where he is playing a lawyer, very, um, that involves corruption in some ways, it's, like, yeah, it's either the corruption within the legal system itself, the corruption of the human soul <laughs> or like you know roy Cohn is the defense like the face of corruption <laughs> in reality in, in in real life <laughs> and well and this performance is really good like i feel like he isn't just like doing his like shouty pacino no thing. no definitely not he's de- it's definitely like you know he didn't really d- I almost said he didn't really do that in, in Gigli, but no, that was all Gigli. <laughs> That's his, his entire performance was shouty, that whole 10 minute scene. Um, I guess he didn't really deal with corruption in Gigli, uh, kind of, in that he was getting charged with something, but can you really say Gigli? Like can, can we really say Gigli was about anything? <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on just like erasing it. Erasing it out of the. Yeah. <laughs> like Simone. It's just like, it's just like Oh my god. Simone, that's another <laughs> fucking shitty movie I'd like to forget. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't talked about Simone yet in a second. I just wanted 
like to talk about the part where Harper they're like whenever in the dream they're talking about each other's like what they can tell about each other mm-hmm. and she tells Pryor like that deep down inside him there's like a part of him that's like completely free of disease and I love that part like yeah. it, it that's what made me cry yeah was that like, was okay. that part is good well and then he's like after she leaves he's like she's lying oh <laughs> <laughs> Pryor's so good. I know. I just want to hug Pryor, like, all the time. <laughs> Throughout watching this, like, all I want to do is hug him. No. Which is, like, you know, thing about it, like, Belize is the only one that will touch him. Like, his friend yeah. who's a nurse and kind of knows, like, yeah. what the actual risks are, but I don't know. Like, I love it. I love this, and I'm so we will, excited to We will it. continue our conversation um, next week about episodes three and four. Oh, guess who recommended Roy Cohn to Joseph McCarthy? Who? J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, he and he does mention being friends with J. Edgar Hoover in um, another closeted gay man, right? I can't. That's like speculation. I don't know if that's ever been confirmed or not. It wouldn't surprise me though. That's just the uh, Leo movie, then. Yeah, which I never seen. I heard it's not that good. Our uh, Pacino pal. Um, the Patreon, Matt Ludostonsky. We wish you well for uh, subscribing to the $5 tier. Uh, soon we will have special, more special bonus episodes, which we'll promote. And hopefully that'll get some more people interested in <laughs> subscribing to our Patreon. And yeah, if you'd like a shout out, you can always subscribe to the $5 tier and you'll get a lot of other cool stuff down the pike too, including... Uh, Right now we got a special uh, episode where we talk about train spotting uh, planned um, because I don't know if you're if you've been with the podcast long enough you remember from the very first episode how shocked Callie was that I had never seen train spotting <laughs> and as of right now I still haven't seen it so that'll be a sp- that'll be the special uh, episode where that uh, that we'll do just for our patrons. Also relevant to AIDS. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, heroin, you know. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Static Blue Bat. You can follow me at Callie Bud. And you can follow Pacino Pod at Pacino underscore Pod. And you can listen to this on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple. Give us five stars. Leave a review. Tell all your friends about us. So you can still listen to us even if you haven't seen the movies. You know, I'm always an advocate that spoilers aren't a thing. Well, just explain the movie to yeah, you. Yeah, spoilers aren't a thing. Um, just because you know plot points doesn't mean you get the emotion or anything behind it. You're, I still recommend you watch Angels in America, even if you haven't fucking seen it. Because so, we actually didn't even cover everything in the first two episodes. <laughs> no, yeah, there's way there's too lo- much. There's lots of stuff that happens. So, um, yeah, keep it locked. Until next week. <laughs>